There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective, and it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah. And it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs.
The book of Proverbs is really beautiful, but if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic, because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people, and sometimes foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right, which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes the Critic, because he's wrestled with that very problem, and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. Isn't that great? Gives you a sense of perspective. In fact, if you look at the overall book of Proverbs, uh, you see that uh, uh, the, the structure of it is like what they had on the screen. This first nine verses here uh, exemplified by this square is an introduction. And the introduction is just wisdom crying out, listen to me. And you have 10 speeches from a father to a son, which orients us to the fact that this book is designed to instruct people as they grow to become wise and godly. So that's the focus. In fact, you have 10 speeches from a father to a son, basically saying, listen to wisdom. And then you have four poems of wisdom kind of sprinkled in there with those 10 speeches from a father. And so uh, you have that as the, uh, uh, as the introduction. I guess I should have used this slide so you can see it a little easier. The ten speeches to the Father, the four poems. And so Proverbs does not equal good advice. It's God's invitation to learn wisdom. That's important for us to understand because as we began to look, we began to think about these, this next series of hundreds of ancient Proverbs that, uh, that are listed, especially in chapters 10 to 29, uh, that focus us on all these different issues, marriage and family and forgiveness and how we speak and generosity and debt and all these different issues. And if you notice, uh, the Bible Project put this chart together, by the way, and they, they list our passage in there. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when they are old, they won't turn from it. And so there's that, that issue of this passage, and we think, well, how do we understand this passage? How are we supposed to understand it? And so he gives us that insight in this one section. Now, you notice that I titled this series, one-week series, Family. There's a reason why I did, because training a child is not something that just parents do. It's very daunting when we look at this, train up a child, and we think, oh, wow, how am I going to do this? Well, we all love training. We all love to be trained. That's why YouTube exists, right? You want to figure out how to fix something? Go to YouTube, get your little training course of two minutes, five minutes, or whatever, and then go fix the thing. We find ourselves looking for coaches that will coach us to be better uh, either at the gym or as an athlete, uh, if you're in volleyball or football or baseball or whatever, you cheerleading, you find yourself looking for these coaches, these ones that will instruct us to train us. And what we find is, and this is really important, I think this is an important point, don't miss this. I think we miss this. Training causes us to be better at something we love to do. Now think about that. So when we look at this verse, do you think of train up a child as, oh man, this is going to be fun? Or do you look at this verse of, oh man, here we go. I would say most of us look at it the second way. And yet I think that we should, we're looking at it all wrong. 
I think that we also try to sneak training into our kids when they're not looking, right? Uh, if you're kids, you know that's true. Because we're trying to sneak it in or we're trying to, and, and so that we, and, and the reality is no, we need, this is, a, this is a group activity. This is not I'm the trainer, you're the trainee. This is, hey, together, we are getting you to be better and wiser at life in all these areas. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that fun? I had an opportunity to think about that this week because one of the things that I, I wanted to do for my, my son as he was growing up is I wanted him to have heroes in the faith more than just mom and dad, if we ever became heroes. But I wanted him to have other heroes, other people that he looked up to. And so we hung out with different people so that he could get to know them and, and, and we connected him. And, and he had these great relationships with different adults in our church. And when he got to certain ages and certain times when he didn't feel like he could talk to mom or dad, he could call some of them. And I knew he was going to get great advice, godly wisdom. And I was so glad I did that. In fact, I was thinking about that this week because my wife had the opportunity to watch a couple of kids. You know, somebody called and said, hey, can you watch our kids? I, I want to go vote and I'm not going to be able to if, we, if you don't. She said, sure, I'd love to do that. But instead of her just going and doing what they were doing, she said, come with me and do what I'm doing. She was working with Operation Christmas Child. And she was coming up here at the church all week long and, and was putting together different marble bags and streamers and different things. They had a blast. And I, it just hit me. I mean, it hit me. I thought, wow, they're getting a chance to have a hero in the church, somebody in our church that loves them and cares for them. And they're seeing that it is fun and they're getting a chance to invest in kids on the other part of the world because now she's getting to talk to them and talk to them about life and about these boxes and where they're going. And so they feel like they're giving themselves to something meaningful and it's a blast. And it's training, it's training up a child. Training up a child doesn't, isn't, doesn't, doesn't say here, parents train up a child. It just says train up a child. That's something that teachers would be doing. That's something that, that Sunday school teachers should be doing. That's something that aunts and uncles and grandmothers and grandfathers and all of us should be doing is helping train up our children to be wise and to know the Lord. That's why I think that floor time is so crucial that my friend talked about. He said, spend time with them because you'll get in conversations with them as you're playing there on the floor and you'll see what they love and what they don't love. What we typically do, and there's times for this, but we typically hand them a phone and say, here, play with this. And why do we do that? Because we're tired, we're busy, we got stuff to do, and we've just replaced ourselves with a phone. Think about that. So then when the phone, they can't get a good signal, they're all frustrated with the phone. We come and we're frustrated with the signal and the phone. And the whole reason that it's there is because we've substituted ourselves. What they're really longing for is us. I mean, think about that. That's pretty sobering. He said, when he said that, I was just like, wow, you're right on target. That's exactly right. We do it with the TV. We do it with all sorts of technology. We need times where we're away from technology. And we think, well, you know, in generations past, they didn't have to deal with cell phones and the internet. It's always been about technology. Technology has changed things from the time of the wheel. Can you imagine the first time somebody shows up with a wheel and everybody's going, oh, great, here it goes. You know, dad just brought a wheel home. He's going to have a couple of wheels and he's going to start dragging stuff and we're going to have junk all around the house. 
you know? And, 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 and the kids are going to get their wheels and they're going to be off and running and they're not going to be at home anymore. And I, mean, I mean, you can imagine how the wheel changed things. It completely changed the structure and culture and society because now people could go further away from home. They could lift heavier objects. And you can just see technology all the way through the Industrial Revolution, all this technology. And all of a sudden, what it changed is, instead of people having floor time with their kids, having time with their kids around a tractor, dad was absent, mom became absent, we are no longer in the home. And there's conversations become less and fewer and far between. And so I think it's so crucial. And when we look at the issue of Proverbs, Proverbs is about communicating with our kids wisdom, which means we got to talk to them. We got to have those times. We got to figure out when to do it. And we need to do it with floor time as they get older, with, you know, baseball or with whatever it is that they love to do and we're doing it with them. It needs to be family times around the table. I remember I did a series where I talked about family meals. And it said, if you have family meals five to seven times a week with your family, there'll be far fewer incidents of drug abuse. There'll be far fewer incidents of depression. Far fewer times where, where they, they get in trouble sexually. I mean, it was just this whole list of things. And these were studies that were done by secular colleges. And they were saying, if, this, if you just eat five to seven times together, this is what can happen. Your, your family's healthy if you just eat together and turn off the technology and just have fun. You don't have to talk necessarily about all serious stuff. Just talk about life. What are you, how'd your day go? And tell me something funny that happened. And you're off to the races and you're laughing together as a family. You're sharing things together. And your hearts are knit together. And they're learning about life. And they're learning that even tough things in life can be times where your family pulls together for you. Wow, they need to see that. And so when I think about this issue of Proverbs, I think, well, you know, yeah, that's not all fine and good. But how do we do it? How do we make those things happen? What do we talk about? How do, and I'm going to tell you how to talk to your family about these topics. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child. You know that first word, train? You know where it comes from? A word that probably all of you know. Did anybody know what the word is there for train? Anybody? Figured maybe there might be one. I had forgotten that it was this word. Because the word means dedicate. Hanuk is the Hebrew word, Hanuk. And it, the word that we know is Hanukkah. You know the word Hanukkah, you've heard it. But you may not know what Hanukkah is, a festival of lights that they have eight days of burning the menorah, the, the candelabra of the, the Jewish faith. And, they, and it goes back to Judas Maccabees in the second century before the, before the time of Christ, about 167, about 160 years before Jesus came on the scene. Judas Maccabees and, and led a revolt against the Greeks. And the Greeks were in charge of the Holy Land at that time and they, they drove them away. And they rededicated the temple. The idea of the word is dedication. And the, and the word is used to dedicate a temple or a house or altars. We see it in Nehemiah where they're dedicating the town walls around Jerusalem. This idea of dedication, I thought, what a perfect word for today. We talk about child dedication. And so this idea that, that we dedicate our children to the Lord, dedicate a child 
in the way he should go. This idea of dedication also has the idea of setting aside, narrowing, hedging in. In other words, hedging out evil and hedging in wisdom, hedging out foolishness. The two big ideas in Proverbs, if you want to know what Proverbs is about, it's about wisdom and the fool. And which one are you going to be? And I think so many times we don't read the book of Proverbs and we play the fool instead of the the wise person. So it's narrowing a child's conduct so that they live wisely. They live in wisdom. And we saw in that video, remember it's talked about the fear of the Lord? Well, that's the beginning of the the book of Proverbs. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's in relationship to God. It's not a godless existence. It's an existence where there's an awareness of God, that God is involved, that God is included, that God is invited, that we uh, want God to be a part of our lives. That's what godliness is about. And so in every aspect, every facet of life, we are seeking after God being included. Which means, if I want God to be included, I need to know his heart, which means I need to read his word. It's one of the reasons why I had, had us make that commitment that we would read the word of God this year. If you start now, you've got two extra months, I'm just saying. Right? And you can finish by next December. It gives you a little more time. So how do we go about training? We talk about the Bible together. And you think, yeah, but I don't know the Bible very well. Just read it along with your kids. Read, start with the storybook Bible. Read that. And then then graduate maybe to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs is so powerful. I mean, look at some of the issues just in our own chapter. If we just had chapter 22 of Proverbs, didn't have any other. A good name is chosen rather than riches. So what is a good name? When you see this thing, I just did something that I encourage you to do. I said, I ask a question. I think many of us say, oh, well, let me tell you about a good name, son, uh, daughter. I want to tell you all about it. No, 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 no. Stop. Time out. No. No, please no. Ask a question. You want them to engage. You want them to be involved. And all you got to ask is some simple questions, and you know all of them. Who, what, when, where, why. Don't forget wherefore. Therefore, here's how we shall live, knowing this. You can say, uh, what is a good name? What does it mean, good name? Uh, how do we do it? Uh, do you know anybody in this life that has a good name? Oh, yeah, Uncle John, he, ha- he has a good name. Why, why do you think he has that good name? What do you think he's done? And you begin to ask these questions, and, and you just kind of focus on that. You don't try to get everything here in, the, in this chapter. You just focus on that one. And then maybe the next week you do another one. I wish I would have started this sooner with my son, but I began to eat breakfast with him every uh, Saturday whenever he was in uh, high school and we just took the book of Proverbs because that was what the book was intended to do to read it and to go through it with your kids I think it says train up a child here's how to do it just begin to read it and then ask these five or six questions and get in discussion and you're, you're going to say but there's some of them I don't know the answer to well guess what you'll learn along with them all you have to do is say, you know what? I don't think we really know what this one is, do we? Let's, let's talk to some people. Let's ask two people this week what they think a good name is and what it means. And then let's get back and talk about it. Well, now you've got more input. You've got more instruction. I mean, look at this. A prudent, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That seems pretty obvious, but talk about it. Well, 
when do we see danger? And, and why is it that in, then in verse 13, it says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the street, I shall be killed in the street. So he's afraid and letting his fear drive him and, it, and it's because of danger. Why is one seeing danger and hiding himself and the, the sluggard is seeing danger and hiding himself, but he's not rewarded for that? All of a sudden, you got kind of, a, and, and you begin to ask the question, and you don't have to necessarily come up with a solution, but you'll find that you begin to wrestle with it, and they begin to wrestle with, what does this mean? The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life, and there's that general principle there. Uh, there's the, in, in verse uh, 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave of the lender, and you think, wow, let's talk about finances and what that means. In fact, you go in verse 29, be not one who gives pledges, who puts up securities for debts. There's two on finances in this one chapter, and you can talk about that. Whoever sows injustice will, in, will reap calamity, and so you injustice very much a issue of our day a bountiful I will be blessed I love this one because it's I think about our food drive that we have for the next three weeks that we're trying to get a certain amount of food that we want to take to the Mansfield Mission Center and help them out those in need in our society it says whoever has a bountiful I will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor that's exactly what we're doing and so we get a chance to say hey we're doing this isn't that exciting isn't that fun you got quarreling and abuse in verse 10. Well, drive out the scoffer. So how does scoffing cause quarreling and abuse? And, you, and a speech is gracious. It talks about the sluggard and what that is, somebody who's lazy. Uh, whoever oppresses the poor. It talks about trusting in the Lord. It talks about make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways. And it's like, how do we deal with our anger? I mean, what an incredible, that's just one chapter. There's so much rich stuff here. You've got plenty of information. You've got plenty of stuff to talk about. Just read the Bible together. Just talk about it. Just communicate about it. And you'll find that you grow in your own understanding. You know, it reminds me uh, when I think about this, this uh, as you're reading this, always include Jesus in the, in the midst of your discussion because he's, he's a key part of the story. He is the main reason for the story. He's the main character behind every book of the Bible. In fact, I love a book that I remember reading years ago, To Understand the Bible, Look for Jesus, The Bible Student's Guide to the Bible Central Theme. That's kind of the step up from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which does the same thing. Takes the focus, looks at Jesus. This is one that was put by, together by Norm Geisler. To understand the Bible, look for Jesus. I was thinking about this, you know, what strategy do we use? And Proverbs gives us a strategy. In fact, our own chapter gives us uh, that. Uh, uh, or, or another chapter in Proverbs 24 says, I pass by the field of a sluggard. And we had the sluggard, remember, in our chapter. It says, by a vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and his stone wall was broken down. What has he just done? He's just been walking around with his kid and said, Look at that house over there. Man, it's broken down. It's in ruins. The field's in ruins. The grass is unmown. Why do you, what kind of person do you think would allow that to happen? Well, they could be sick. Yeah, they could be sick. And maybe we need to go help them. Well, what a great opportunity. Or, you know, maybe they're just lazy. Well, it could be lazy. You know, we don't know the person, so we don't know why, but there's a story behind this. And in Proverbs, it says, Then I saw and considered it, verse 32 of Proverbs 24. He considered, he thought about it. So it's thinking about it. You want your kids to think about this too. It says, I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So we need to work hard. 
And so he uses an opportunity. We have that all the time to drive around and look at what we're doing and to see what people are doing around us. We see it in, in Proverbs 23. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, that's verse 1. It's the very next chapter after ours. Observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. In other words, don't eat too much when you're with a ruler, when you're with a person of authority. Don't let that be your focus. Let it be what the person is saying or how you're influencing them. Verse 6, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy and do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating, eat and drink, he says, to you, but his heart's not with you. And you learn something and you're helping them to pre-think life. I remember James Dobson in his, in his uh, book, Preparing for Adolescence. In fact, he encourages each parent to take their kids on an adolescent weekend where you, you, you go somewhere where they want to go and you have a lot of fun together, but you talk about life's issues as they're beginning to change from a child to a young adult. And I remember him telling this story. He said, now, now imagine yourself in a car. You've just gotten in a car with your friends and there's five of you in the car and, and you pull up to the first stoplight and the driver pulls out this little bottle of red pills and takes one of them and hands it to the person seated next to them and they pass it to the next person and the next and it comes to you. What are you going to do? Wow. And I thought, Wow. He's, he's helping them pre-think. It's exactly what Proverbs does. It helps you to pre-think life and pre-think how you're going to handle it. How you're going to handle it when you sit with a ruler. How you're going to handle it when you sit with somebody who's stingy. How you're going to handle it when you with, sit with someone who's going to pass drugs or alcohol around to you. How you're going to handle it in your pre-thinking so that you become wise. We, we say live and learn. That can kill you. Proverbs is saying learn and then live. That's how we live life, is we learn first, and then we grow. He says, train up a child. Now, the word child there uh, is uh, a word that can mean a broad range of ages, from the age of an infant to age 24. So you think, wow, that's a large age range, yeah, all the way through college in our day. So we need that training in life. And so it's something that we all are involved in. We all need to be engaged in. Even the one who's being trained needs to be committed to their own training. And I'll talk about that at the end, how important that is and what that can mean for your life. He says, train your child in the way he should go. Now there's a lot of people have said a lot of things about that phrase. Some will say, according to their natural bent. I read a commentator who said it's not likely what the proverb, the writer of Proverbs had in mind because the writer of Proverbs, and here's his reason, the writer of Proverbs is focused on the way of wisdom and the way of the fool. He's not talking about your natural bent. And in fact, if, he, if you go with your natural bent, you know, your natural bent is you're just a little sinner. And we're adult sinners and they're little sinners and that's our natural bent. In fact, one commentator in a satire said, Train up a child, he kind of rewrote it satirically, he says, train a child according to his evil inclination. Let him have his will, and he will continue in his evil way throughout life. I was thinking, well, that, that would be more of a, the natural bent, right? A way of wisdom isn't our natural bent, and so it's not the natural bent, it's in the way that we ought to go, which is the way of wisdom, which includes God in everything that we do, and that we need that kind of training, that we need that kind of help to learn and grow in wisdom. He finishes by saying, even when he is old, 
he will not depart from it. And that's at that point that we get frustrated because we think, well, I've seen people who have been raised in the church, been raised in a godly home, and then they haven't walked with the Lord. So God must not be keeping his word. And, it's, and yet I know, and, and, and it says that God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? God keeps his word. Maybe I'm the failure here. Maybe, maybe we failed whenever they walk away. And, and it's under, helpful to understand the book of Proverbs. Proverbs focuses on probabilities, not on promises. It focuses on the general rule, not the exceptions. The exceptions are brought up in Ecclesiastes, right? In the book of Job. But Proverbs, most probably, if you fear God and you live in wisdom, things are going to go great. If you don't fear God and you have foolishness in your heart, things are not going to go so well. There are no guarantees in life. And so, except for the gospel, except for salvation, I mean, some of those are guarantees, but not in this, because a child has their own mind, don't they? And they can go directions that we didn't desire for them to go. They can live according to foolishness instead of according to wisdom. And so we don't have a promise here. We have a general principle, and so we pray, and we trust the Lord about what he's going to do. And that, that our influence, and I think about our influence, I think, well, I, brought him, I took him to church, okay. Let's stop there with that. And let's ask ourselves the question. When you got done with church, whether it's online, whether it's in person, did, were you griping and complaining the whole time after you got home? Man, I can't believe that preacher, he went long. You know, I missed my, my lunch. I got, I got in a longer line. Uh, it was too hot in there. Did you notice how hot it was in that place? It was too cold in there. Or the music was too loud. Or it wasn't the kind that I like. So you raised your kid in the church and that's all they hear when they get home. Why would they ever want to go back when they get to be on their own? Wow. That's humbling for me. It's humbling for us. We need to go and say, gosh, did you see what the, the pastor said in that passage? Do you see how powerful that passage is? Did you, did, you, did you catch the words of that song, the worship leader? Did you, did you notice how that person that we shared with afterwards, how much it meant to them that we shared the verse with them? Man, how fun that is. How fun church can be and time and community can be and time with our family can be. We've got to change our perspective. We've got to change our focus. And our focus is on what the Lord is doing. And we, don't, we take the focus off of ourselves. Because when we go home complaining, we're making it all about me. And they're all focused on me. And they're not focused on the Lord. And they don't want any more of it. Godly training means that we have our focus in the right place. We have our head in the right place. There's a, I, I went online and, and looked at this one list of, of topics in Proverbs. I was trying to find some books on that. And one of the things I found was this a topical treasury of Proverbs, 100 topics from the Net Bible. And it has 100 topics here. Anger, authority, how you deal with bosses, bitterness, brokenness, criticism. What do you do when you're criticized? I mean, there's, there's a... 
uh, 14 verses in Proverbs on criticism, on disrespect, 21 verses, uh, gossip, people talking to you, generosity, hatred. When you ever hate somebody and you need to know what to do, 18 verses on that. Impulsiveness, addictions, uh, Marital problems, 10 verses in Proverbs on that. 46 on parenting, by the way, in the book of Proverbs. Self-control, you're struggling with self-control? I've got that one. I need to read the 19 verses that are on that one. Uh, sexual immorality, trust, wealth. I mean, just so many things. And I think about that and think how important it is for us. If we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, we need to grow. We need to be constant learners of God's heart and his ways. And what a great book to start with. I would encourage you, read the Jesus Storybook Bible with your little kids. When they, your kids get older, start using the book of Proverbs and just read it together. And then ask the five questions. Who, what, when, where, why, wherefore. Help them to see how God is involved in this. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. I mean, it's all through there. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There's, there's so much in the book of Proverbs just focusing on God and him being central in your life. Train up a child means that we need to train up ourselves. Some of you didn't have that training when you grew up. And you wonder, you, you, you haven't seen it, so you don't know how to do it with someone else. And so you're wondering, how do I train my kid when I haven't had the training? Or you can train yourself. You can begin to read. You're going to be training yourself as you train them, as you read it together. There was a movie that Susan and I watched uh, this week called Greater. We'd never seen it before. Uh, and we watched it even though it was about the University of Arkansas. And, uh, you know, I'm not an Arkansas guy, uh, you know. Um, and so, but it, incredible story. Story about a guy named Brandon Burlesworth. Brandon Burlesworth was a walk-on at the University of Arkansas. He had a full ride at a smaller college, but he had his heart dead set on the University of Arkansas. He met the coach a year out and the coach said, you're not big enough. You're only 6'2". Most of these guys are 6'4". You're uh, not heavy enough. You need to gain about 80 pounds. Well, guess what? When the coach saw him next, he gained 80 pounds. And he looked fat. He was out of shape. And people made fun of him. He wasn't a scholarship player. He was a walk-on. He had to get a scholarship in a year or he wasn't going to make it because his mom couldn't afford it. And he was a guy that his high school coach said, you need to show up early and you need to be there late. You need to work hard if you really want this. Nobody gave him a chance. Nobody thought that he had the right stuff. He didn't have the talent, but he was working hard. He was training himself. He was there early. He was there before the coach showed up. He was there after the coaches had already gone home. When they'd shed out all the lights, he was still there working on his footwork and working on different things. Brandon Burlesworth became a first-team All-American. First-team All-American drafted by the Colts. Wow. Training. It involves heart. It involves desire. Do we want it that bad for our kids? means that we go after it. Do you as kids want that training so that you're skilled in life and that you have fun in life, that you enjoy life because, and the blessings that life has to offer because you're walking with the Lord in every facet of life and you're skilled at doing it? I think that we need more of that heart 
of a Brandon Burlesworth. We need more of the heart that Solomon started out with. He didn't end well, but he started strong. May we be those who are focused on training up a child, which starts with training up us. It starts with heart, and we want to give it all we got. And that we have fun in the process. That when we get done, wow, wasn't that fun? We played on the floor. Wasn't that a blast? We read the storybook Bible. Wow, look at what they said here. I love the way that they said it. And you enjoy those moments. And you enjoy those moments around the dinner table. And you enjoy that laughter and those conversations. Because you'll be training up a child in wisdom and fear of the Lord. Father, we come to you. And we thank you for your incredible love and grace. You've given us your wisdom. Father, help us not to treat it lightly. Help us not to just look at your word and go, eh. Help us to see it as the wisdom of God so that we can live life to the fullest as you intended it with all the blessing that you would desire for us. And help us to help our kids see how fun training can be in the school of life. Help us have a blast as we talk to them, as we laugh together, as we think about people who do it well and people who don't do it well, as we point that out, as we talk about it. Lord, help us to have a life of training, a life of discipleship of one another. And Father, I know that we're going to be discipled just as much as our kids are. We're going to be trained just as much as our kids are as we think through this together with them. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do. I can't wait to see how you're going to transform the lives of our church family as we do this together. As this becomes a year of training, as we have this year that we train ourselves in wisdom. Lord, help us to grow in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.